0: question we're prompted with in that psalm is, where is your God? Psalm 42 repeats it twice. Where is your God? So this morning, we're going to be in our second week of a three-week mini-journey, seeking to to learn how to walk with God, learning from the ancient path uh, what a modern faith can look like and what it means to walk with God. So if you were here last week, um, we started this metaphor that I, I, I kind of walked on my vacation a couple weeks ago of walking on this beautiful wooded pathway, this trail in the mountains with a beautiful creek running by, beside me um, and rushing waters, a few waterfalls were just the sound of many waters you could hear as you're walking beside this trail and just The imagery of walking uh, alongside still waters, but also rushing waters in this beautiful setting. And last week, we we looked at the question uh, of who is God? So if we're going to try to figure out how to walk with God, which is what we're looking at in these three weeks, last week we focused on the word God just in general. Well, it's important to know who you're trying to walk with. Who is This God of the universe. Which God are you talking about? And so again, if you were away last week, I encourage you to listen to that sermon as it is a little bit of a stair step into this week's sermon, which continues on the theme of walking, but this week we're going to be focusing on the word with. Walking with God. So if last week we unpacked the question of who is God This week, we're going to be unpacking the question that the psalmist asks in Psalm 42. Where is your God? And the assumption that I'm going to make and the teaching that I'm going to present is the idea that God is with us. That the God we want to walk beside is actually walking with us is a core truth from the Scriptures. And so the idea is that... um, Really, you won't be able to see where God is in your life, which is what the psalmist is asking. Where is your God? I'm going to say you can't can't see where God is in your life until you see why he's already gone there for you. So to, to unpack the where question and to see that God really is with us, we have to see why he would want to be with us. What is it about this God that we unpacked last week that desires to be with his people and desires us to walk with him. And what is it about you and me that desires to walk with him also? What is it in our own heart and soul that we can find that wants to walk with him? So this week, where is our God? Sometimes we're on that trail of life and we feel like we, we can't find the rushing waters anymore. On my vacation a couple weeks ago, I was walking the trail, and much of the trail goes right alongside the waters. Some of it goes right next to these waterfalls where you don't even have to go off the path to see this mighty rushing waterfall and experience the power of the rushing water. Remember last week I said, you know, the Bible talks about in several places in Ezekiel and Revelation that God's voice is like the sound of many rushing waters. And so when you hear the thunder of water clapping against a stream you think of god's voice in scriptural images but as i was walking along that path on my vacation there's a there's part of that trail that goes up along a ridgeline and i remember the day that i was walking it yeah, i was by myself again looking for quiet and peace and i started going up veering away from the waterfall walking up the ridgeline still on the trail still on the path but as i went up the sound of the rushing waters got fainter and fainter and fainter to where finally I got to a place at the top of the ridgeline where I couldn't hear the water at all. And I was out of breath because I hiked this ridge. It was humid. A bug flew in my nose. (laughs) It was uncomfortable. And I said, where is the water? Where is the coolness of the water? Where is the sound that reassures me that I'm going to make it back to the parking lot? And oftentimes, I think that is how our spiritual lives or our our regular lives can feel as we're walking along. Is God with us? Has he abandoned us? Is he far away? Is he there at all? I found out this week that uh, Harvard University just hired a new chaplain Maybe I'm seeing some heads nodding. Maybe you've heard this story as well. It does need to be said that there's multiple chaplains uh, for different faith groups on Harvard's campus, but there is one chaplain who oversees all the other chaplains, and the head chaplain that they just hired is an atheist, which Christians have been uh, pondering the last couple weeks. How How could you hire a chaplain who doesn't even believe in God at all? And here's a quote uh, from this new chaplain. I think it's telling uh, of, of where a lot of people in our world are. And again, maybe you're in this place. The new chaplain says, There's a rising group of people who no longer identify with any religious tradition, but still experience a real need for conversation and support around what it means to be a good human and to live an ethical life. And he goes on to say, this group of people, we don't look to God for answers. We are each other's answers. That's the framework, the worldview from which he is going to lead as a chaplain, is the idea that you don't need to look to God for answers. you look to each other, because you, you are each other's answers. And so as we go on in this series today and ask, where is God? I want us to spend time really questioning that philosophy from that chaplain of, can we find our hope in life and death in each other's answers, or do we need, do we need, and you know what I'm going to say, we need the God of the universe over all things to be with us, to give us the answers that we're longing for. As we read earlier, if we seek, he will be found. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. And so Psalm 42 ushers us into that question. We're going to look at Psalm 42 kind of as a roadmap, but we're going to begin first with Genesis chapter 3. And so I encourage you, if you have a Bible, uh, to follow along Genesis 3. There's a few in the pews, or if you have one with you or a phone, you can follow along Genesis 3 for this first point. Then we're going to move on to a couple other ancient voices um, from the Old Testament as well. But again, we're answering the question, where is your God? And so Genesis 3, verses 8 and 9 is where I want to start with to answer this question. So again, the psalmist is getting this question from his uh, adversaries, from those around him in his life. Uh, They're saying to him, where is your God? Uh, They're questioning that that he may not be with them, that he may not be with you. He's saying, if, if he's with you, then where actually is he? Genesis 3, 8 and 9 give us the origin of the question that is being asked here. And so let's read Genesis 3, 8 and 9. Humanity has been created in the image of God. All things have been made good by him. And then Adam and Eve eat from the forbidden fruit in the garden and they revealed they are revealed to be uh, naked and so they begin to cover themselves uh, in shame. And so Genesis 3, 8 and 9 say this. After they had discovered that they had rebelled against God and the shame had been revealed. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, The Lord God called to the man. And said to the man, where are you? I want you to note just right away the flipped question here. The psalmist is being asked by adversaries, where is your God, man? And what I want you to show you right from the very beginning, the moment that humanity sins for the first time, where brokenness enters the world, where where rebellion enters the world, We get to learn a lot about who God is right away. What is he going to do with sinful humanity? And what I want you to see here is that it's not Adam and Eve asking God, where are you, God? They're hiding from him. But it's the God of the ages, the ancient of days, the one with the voice of rushing waters, who is asking humanity, where are you? So the first point this morning about where is your God, he is pursuing you. He is after you. He is hot on your trail. He is pursuing you because he is a God who does not abandon his people. And we learn that from the very beginning of Genesis chapter 3. A lot of people today ask about man's pursuit of the divine or man's pursuit of God as if we can can philosophically find him in some academy or in some worldview or in some spiritual journey or pilgrimage, as if life is a divine game of hide and seek or something. Like we're trying to seek after God and find him and bring him back to us. But that's actually not how the, the primary nature of, of our supernatural walk with God at all. It doesn't begin with our pursuit of him, it actually begins beautifully in grace and love with his pursuit of us. Allow your, your worldview to be flipped on its head for a moment this morning that, that humanity didn't see God even coming after them. They were hiding in the bushes in shame, putting fig leaves over themselves to hide themselves. But God went to them. God pursued them. They could have been asking each other, where is our God? But they didn't, they didn't go pursuing God. God came pursuing them they hid themselves from God's presence they were choosing not to walk with God anymore and I think they were probably assuming that God wouldn't want to walk with them either that's what I'm, that's what I'm guessing because that's how I feel when I sin whenever I do something that's in rebellion to God which happens every day my first thought is shame how could the God that, that loves how could he want to walk with me After I just did that. So I think Adam and Eve are probably sitting in the bushes saying, I don't think God's going to come after me. And then the voice, where are you? Where are you? And he finds them. And he talks to them. He has a conversation. He clothes them, which is a gracious thing. But then he also does judge them because of their sin. God deals rightly and justly with his people. But it begins the Bible long pursuit of man after God, or, man after, or God after man, of God being hot on, the t- hot on the chase after Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all the way through Israel, all the way through the Old Testament. God is the God who pursues his people. There's a poet named Francis Thompson who wrote a, a poem uh, back in 1893. It's 182 lines long. I'm not going to read the whole thing but it's called The Hound of Heaven. And it's a famous po- poem that people use to describe God as being the one who pursues you. And Let me just read a couple of the beginning of the poem. It says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways. Of my own mind and in the midst of tears, I hid from him and under running laughter. Up this hopes I sped and shot precipitated a down titanic glooms of chasmed fears from those strong feet of God that followed, followed after. But with unhurried chase and with unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, his voice beat, a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. And the poem ends with the man being found by this hound of heaven who's after him. John Stott, one of the famous pastors from England in the mid-century, talks about that's, that's how he became a Christian, was the hound of heaven finding him. He says, if it were not for the gracious pursuit of the hound of heaven, I would today be on the scrap heap of wasted and discarded lives. And I think you and I would be on that same heap as well. Left to our own devices, we, we can't find God on our own. It's actually God who pursues us, and if we look at our story, we can see instances of of the hound of heaven chasing after us, like like a dog nipping after your heels, like chasing its prey. Maybe you're a little uncomfortable with that image of God being like a hound dog, and I understand that. Uh, That's okay, but I think the imagery is is important here, of the relentless pursuit of a loving God. And we can see this in the parables of Jesus. Jesus particularly two parables in Luke 15. The first one begins in verse 3, and it talks about, uh, he says, what, what man of you, if you had a hundred sheep, if you lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one until he finds it? He says that's what God is like. He goes after the one And then there's the the parable of the woman with ten coins who says, What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the whole house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, I found the coin that was lost. And then Luke says this, just so, Jesus says this in Luke, Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And that's you and me. And remember, remember that day where you were found by God and the joy that you felt because you realized you were unworthy of being found by him. But God in his grace and mercy found you. So that's, that's where the where question begins. Where is your God? He is hot on your heels. He is pursuing you in love and in grace. And friends, whether you're a Christian or not, remember that whether you have doubts or fears or certainty or, or deep trust, may you never lose sight of the fact that God is the one who is graciously pursuing you because he sees you as a valued and treasured possession. Made in his image, he has beautiful plans. He has beautiful plans for you. He's pursuing you. Secondly, I want to turn over to Jeremiah now. So if you have a Bible, you can, I don't know, skip about a 1,000 pages ahead in the, in the biblical narrative to the book of Jeremiah. Actually, it's about 800, 700 pages. Jeremiah 29, this is another famous passage, but it's another ancient voice that tells us something about where God is as we seek to walk with him. Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 11 So again, if God is pursuing us, let's balance this a little bit with what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 11. This is the part probably you know, this first verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. The context of this passage is the people of Israel They've been judged because of sin and idolatry and disobedience. And they've been in exile in Babylon for years. And here's the prophet Jeremiah, sent by God with his words, coming to the people of Israel saying, yes, you're in exile, but don't forget, the hound of heaven is still after the people of Israel. He's still pursuing you. And he will bring you back because his heart is one of grace and compassion. He never gives up on lost people. And so where is your God? not only is he pursuing his people, but as he says here in verse 14, he is inviting you to find him. Yes, he pursues you. He's the initiator in the relationship, but he also invites you to be the one who finds him. I'm not talking about a God who needs to feel special by being chased. You know, those people that just need to be chased to feel special, that's not how God is. I'm not talking about going on some cosmic scavenger hunt that God is putting you on so you ultimately jump through all the right hoops and then find God at the end. On the contrary, I'm talking about a character quality of God that he is findable, that he is knowable, that he has revealed himself to such an extent to humanity and to creation that it is possible to find him. I said earlier, you can't expect to go on a philosophical journey alone and find God, as if you're climbing the staircase to heaven, as has been famously said. But rather, as he is pursuing you, you begin to pursue him. And you find him, because he's made himself available to be found. Jeremiah 29 shows this beautifully. It shows that God will remember his promise to the people. That that, that God does have a desirous heart and plan for peace and and fullness and hope. And that once humanity sees who God is, they will want to reach out to him because they realize he has something that can fill that void, that God-shaped hole in your heart. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Friends, give your whole heart to this pursuit of God and he promises that you will find him. Give your full heart's attention to seeking Him, to finding those answers, and He promises to fill that void. God requires all of us, not just part of our affections. And that's why this daily repentance of when we realize our affections are drawn into other things, we can be quick to repent and say, Lord, I now see that I need to give all myself to You. That these other idols, these other Made-up things are not going to fill me. I need you. And God promises, I will be found by you. Verse 14, I will be found by you. What a beautiful re- realization. I We're talking about hide-and-seek a little bit. I don't know if you guys grew up playing the game um, hide-and-seek, but there's a flipped version of the game called sardines. Any of you guys play this growing up? Where it's the inverse of hide-and-seek. Hide-and-seek is... Uh, You know, you go one person closing their eyes and counting and going trying to find everybody else. But sardines is the idea of a bunch of people seeking after the one. And that's actually what I think more so what the Christian life is like, what the pursuit of God is like, is it's all of us pursuing the one. And yet the beauty of the gospel is that there is one among the seekers who knows the way the hidden one. He knows how to find the one who's hidden. Jesus is our brother. Jesus Christ is the one who came alongside the rest of us seekers and said, friends, I know where the hidden God is, and I can show you the way. Come with me. Follow me. Learn from me, and I'll show you the Father, the once hidden Father. I will show you the way. Jesus ultimately echoes and fulfills Jeremiah. That's what I read at the beginning of the service today. Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. Jesus is inviting himself to be part of each of our lives. And that is the invitation from God to trust in Jesus. That's the invitation that the Bible gives to all of us, to trust in him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We learned in our Sunday school class this morning, just the beginning of the The famous invitation, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. And the promise from Jesus is, I will give you rest. He will show you the way to God because he is God. He knows where the Father is because he is perfectly in step and in will with the Father. Lay down your plans, your agendas, your independence. Listen to Jesus. Follow him. Acknowledge your sin, your limits, your brokenness, your rebellion. Confess it to God Trust it to a loving Father and He will receive you and He will show you the way to life. The famous Chinese proverb is the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And the step for the Christian is to step into Jesus' way and He will guide you into that everlasting discovery of the God of the ages. Lastly, one more passage to look at that will lead us right into taking the Lord's Supper. I'm going to encourage you to go to a book you probably, I'm assuming, just skip over a lot of times because it's, it's a little amb- ambiguous. And It's the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah. Zephaniah 3.17 is where we're going to be going this morning for this last question of where is your God? i to give you just a moment to find it. Zephaniah 3.17. It's just before Haggai, just before the end of the Old Testament, just after Nahum. Zephaniah 3.17. This is the last part to the question, Where is your God? Let's learn from one more ancient voice. Another prophet, a minor prophet here, named Zephaniah. A beautiful passage, a memorizable passage. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Where is your God? He is in your midst. But really what I think what that really is getting at, yes, he is with us, like he's with us now in the service. He's with us in our pursuit of him but really what i think that means is he has actually gone before us he has gone before us he is on that walkway or on that path or on that trail before us he's in our midst he is leading us he is paving the trail for us he's knocking away all the obstacles he's showing us the way on the path he is a mighty one who will save he has the plan to cure the world of sin and death, and he will surely do it. He will rejoice over you with gladness because he is happy for his plans for you. He is smiling at the prospect of you finding God. He will quiet you by his love. All those doubts, all those questions, all those challenges, all those concerns, all those anxieties, all those burdens, those are real. But when you see the love of God displayed in the person of Jesus on the cross, that quiets the questions, that quiets the burdens. It doesn't doesn't take them away. It quiets them. And it fills you with hope because his love is greater than the questions, is greater than the burdens. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Because his character is praise and glory and adoration. So when Jesus came in John 1, and it says, "In the beginning was the word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God," it goes on to say in verse 14, "He made His dwelling among us. He's in our midst. God dwelled with His people, showed us the way, took our place on the cross. Jesus literally lived with humanity and walked our path. God is with us in the most literal way possible because no other God has walked among his people in that clear of a way. And no other God has displayed his love for humanity by dying on the cross the death that we deserved. And this is the beauty of the repetition of the gospel story that we present week after week, year after year, is that we're reminded the God that we can walk with is the God who loves us. So where is your God, the the adversary asks in Psalm 42? One real answer to that question is our God is on the cross. He paid the penalty. He suffered for us. What love does that take? Another answer to that question, where is your God? He is not in the tomb. He is not buried like the rest of us who died. He has risen from the grave. He walked out of that grave. He's resurrected. He is walking before us. He is in our midst. He has conquered it all. And therefore, he walks with us. He's left his Holy Spirit to be with us. So where ultimately does this path lead us? That's where this journey leads to in this sermon. And we'll pick up next week with the how. How do we actually walk with God in a really practical way? But ultimately, where does this lead us? Where does the path of walking with God take us? It takes us right through life, right through pain, right through suffering, right through brokenness, but with the assurance that God is with us. But ultimately, it leads us to the new Jerusalem, to the reality of heaven on earth, that God is making all things new, that all will be made well, that God will once again dwell in person with his people and a renewed creation, heaven on earth, and a renewed new Jerusalem where God lives freely with his people. I started by saying you won't be able to see where God is in your life until you see why he has already gone there before you. The why God has gone before us is because he loves us. He desires to walk alongside you. So that's the invitation to each of us as we Walk out our lives and as we come to the Lord's table is to walk with Him. Let me close us in prayer and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Lord Jesus, we, we see that you desire to walk with us. You've pursued us. You invite us to find you, and we see you going before us in our midst. So, Lord, as we approach the Lord's table today, we ask that you would quiet us by your love. You allow us to focus on the the grand sacrifice of what Christ has done for us. May we experience that anew this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.